0: Welcome to the East Asia Hotspots podcast, where we invite you to join us for chats with experts and scholars from around the world to talk about contemporary issues in East Asia. I'm the lead facilitator, Richard Haddock, with the George Washington University. Support of this podcast comes from the U.S. Department of Education's Title VI grant for East Asian Studies at the George Washington University's Elliott School of International Affairs. Our partners at the Elliott School that help make this podcast happen are the Seeger Center for Asian Studies and the GW Institute for Korean Studies. The views and opinions expressed in these podcasts are those of the speakers alone and do not reflect the position of the NRC. Through these podcasts, we want to encourage dialogue about diverse perspectives in East Asian Studies. Check out our website at nrc.elliot.gwu.edu. For all our podcast episodes and info about East Asian studies at the George Washington University. Now, let's start the conversation.
1: So, welcome to the fifth episode of the Hotspot Minute podcast series in association with East Asia National Resource Center at the George Washington University where we chat with experts on contemporary issues in East Asia. This project is supported by the Title VI grant from the U.S. Department of Education. Today's guest is Professor Yan Bennett, and we'll be talking about U.S.-China trade war. Professor Bennett is the Assistant Director for the Paul and Marcia Weiss Center on Contemporary China. She most recently worked at the Princeton-Harvard China in the World Program at the Woodrow Wilson School of Public and International Affairs, where she served as the assistant director from 2009 to 2015. As a legal scholar, she has a number of publications on China's legal reform and on the rule of the law under the C administration. Professor Bennett has a BA in political science and received an MA in international affairs from the Yale School of the George Washington University. She holds a JD and practices in the area of business and international law. Welcome to our podcast series and thank you so much for being here today, Professor Bennett. I'm excited to hear your valuable insights on the US-China trade for our audience today. Aika, thank you for inviting me here today. Thank you so much for coming. First of all, why are we having this trade board right now?
2: Basically, it's because Trump has accused China of not playing fair in trade. But first, I'd like to take two steps back to talk about trade and supply and demand. Going back to Adam Smith's supply and demand and in the invisible hand, Countries produce goods and services at which they excel, meaning that they produce goods more efficiently than other countries and at a lower price than their competitors. They, in turn, buy those products made more efficiently and at a better price than what can be made domestically in their own countries. That is why we buy t-shirts from China and Vietnam, because even with shipping costs, it costs less in those countries to make a t-shirt there than in the United States. Those countries have created a specialization in the textile industry, so they have the facilities, the equipment, the know-how, and a trained labor force to make t-shirts. The U.S. excels at producing agricultural products, for example, so we export those products because we're good at growing corn and raising pigs. Uh, The U.S. also excels at what I call products of the mind, intellectual property. The U.S. is very good at producing financial products like loan products and insurance, for example, and also Internet-based products like Google, Facebook, Twitter, Microsoft. I know you don't normally think of these as products, but they, you know, they produce something. Um, These are all based on intellectual property. In this exchange of goods, going back to the whole supply and demand, um, in this exchange of goods, countries will impose taxes on the export or import of these goods. We call these taxes either duties or tariffs. Sometimes we call them a customs tax. We also say that they can be a levy. We have many words for the word tax. Basically, it's a percentage of the value of the goods. In the case of export duties, let's say the U.S. places a tax on corn that's exported to Canada. One, this helps raise revenue. It's expensive to administer international trade. You have to pay all those customs officials who process those shipments out of the country. Sometimes countries want to discourage export on some goods, perhaps to keep the goods themselves because it's a valuable commodity. Most countries generally do not impose import taxes because they want their domestic industries to sell their goods and make a profit, which then can be taxed by the IRS. In the event of import taxes, again, it's to raise revenue. However, sometimes taxes are levied for protectionist reasons, which leads me to my next point. Countries play dirty in trade through a number of ways. One way is to raise goods, uh, excuse me, um, one way is to price goods way below their production value and below what other competitors are selling the same goods for. This is called dumping, i.e. dumping on the market really cheap goods at below cost prices, below what uh, it would cost to uh, produce the good itself. Dumping can also mean flooding the market so that the price lowers. Um, Basic law of supply is that if there is excess supply, demand lessens and prices go down. It's a way to favor domestic industries. In cases like China, it's with the hope that the domestic industries can drive their international competitors out of business and gain international market share. Sometimes governments will subsidize industries so that domestic suppliers can stay in business, even if they aren't making a lot of money. You've probably heard that farmers are now being subsidized because of the trade war. Um, I'll talk about that more later. There are other ways to place protections around industries. Countries with large economies, for example, review international mergers, mergers, ostensibly to ensure that the industry remains competitive and not monopolistic, meaning that one company dominates the market. Sometimes these large countries will block a merger for anti-competition reasons, That the company will be too large and able to dictate to the market on prices, which is unfair to consumers. In other cases, the countries will place conditions on the merger so that the industry remains competitive. The United States, Japan, Germany, the UK, China, I think maybe France and Russia as well, they conduct these reviews. In China's case, however, it will review the merger's impact on its own domestic industries, not for anti-competition reasons, and block or condition a merger based on those interests. Getting back to other protectionist policies, a country can bar the import of some goods by saying that the imported good doesn't meet a high enough standard, so it can't be sold there. This happens a lot in the EU. They won't accept non-EU goods because they don't meet EU standards. Sometimes countries will impose import quotas, limiting the import of certain goods, and finally, tariffs can also be used to make the imports so prohibitively expensive that consumers will turn to domestic suppliers whose prices are cheaper. All these practices are called protectionist policies or unfair trade practices because they interfere with free trade and distorts the market. In this current trade war, the Trump administration is using tariffs as a punitive measure against China because of its unfair trade practices and because of the large trade imbalance. The tariffs are to discourage the purchase of foreign goods from China, with the hope that it will also spur domestic manufacture of certain goods. This is our own form of protectionist policy.
1: Thank you so much for explaining about the trade war in world, uh, worldwide. So specifically, what is going on this U.S.-China trade war, war right now? First, let me say, this isn't
2: the first time we've
1: imposed tariffs on China. It is, however, the
2: first time that we've imposed so many tariffs on so many products. Since China joined the WTO, the U.S. has sued China a number of times for dumping and other unfair trade practices and on specific products. I think the first time that it made major news was in 2002 when George W. Bush, a number 43, imposed steel tariffs on China for the purpose of protecting the domestic steel industry in the US and to create more jobs. I was a foreign service officer at the time and it was a little bit ironic. We had economic officers demarching the Chinese foreign ministry on its not so free trade practices and Chinese officials would shoot back, well, but what about the steel tariff? They basically had no answer to that. It was our own protectionist policy. The Bush tariffs on steel products ranged from 8% to 30%, but they were not directly targeted at China. All steel-producing countries faced these tariffs. Some countries were given exemptions. However, a couple years into it, Bush was forced to rescind the tariffs due to international backlash and its economic impact on steel-using industries. Studies have shown that the Bush tariffs raised the price of steel in the U.S. and also cost more jobs than were saved. Because of the higher price of steel, about 200,000 jobs were lost in industries that use the metal in production—heavy equipment, construction, aircraft building, the automobile industry—versus saving the 197,000 jobs in the steel industry. The other news making tariff imposition was during the Obama administration in 2009 for tires on light passenger vehicles. This is normal car tires, not big big tires. These two were also very controversial. They didn't save a whole lot of jobs and ultimately raised prices on tires. A Peterson Institute study showed that the tire tariff cost Americans consumers $1.1 billion. They were gradually reduced and eliminated by 2012. At that year, State of the Union, Obama said that 1,000 jobs were saved because of the tire tariffs. I think $1.1 billion for 1,000 jobs seems like a really bad deal. At that rate, we should have just given the money to the workers.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I see. So why does the US currently target like China to improve America's trade deficit? We target China because the trade deficit is just so large. China imports
2: $120 billion worth of goods from the United States, while we import close to $530 billion from China, leaving about $400 billion the so-called trade deficit. This is 2018 numbers. Moving that closer to parity seems more fair. They buy more, we buy less, we produce more ourselves. It just seems more fair, right? However, we carry trade imbalances with many countries, Canada, Mexico, Japan, the European Union. So part of this drive to parity with China is that China is a so-called rising power that engages in unethical trade practices. I believe that this combination, a country that is a rival and doesn't play by the rules, makes China a very attractive target in a trade war.
1: Mm, I see. So how does the improving trade deficit impact the economy or society in the U.S.? Like, for example, increasing employment rate in the United States?
2: So that's exactly right. That's what all the presidents who have imposed tariffs on China have said. Bring jobs back to the United States and save jobs in dying industries. With less competition, the domestic industries should rebound and become great again. In theory, this is supposed to work. In practice, however, the cost of the tariffs are passed on to the consumers who have to pay higher prices. Because imports are priced higher, then domestic producers take advantage of this, and they also raise raise their own prices. In studies on both the Bush steel tariffs and the Obama tire tariffs, the tariffs didn't create new jobs. They just saved the ones that were existing, and it cost our economy a whole lot more. $1.1 $1.1 billion, as I mentioned, for the tire tariffs, and 200,000 jobs are lost in the steel-related industries.
1: I see. I think you already mentioned about what happened in 2018 briefly about showing the data, but can you specifically explain what happened in detail in 2018 and when all these annou- announcements on tra- tariffs came out? Sure. First, I'd
2: like to go back to the campaign trail in 2015-2016. On the campaign trail, Trump made a lot of statements that China engaged in unfair trade practices and that if he became president, he would make China pay and play fair. He also made a lot of the large trade imbalance between the U.S. and China, that China doesn't buy a lot of U.S. goods and that the U.S. buys a ton of Chinese goods. One of his campaign managers was Peter Navarro. Peter Navarro is the author of Death by China, written in 2011. In it, Navarro writes about the trade imbalance, that China is robbing America of its manufacturing base, and is a currency manipulator. Everything that Trump accused China of during the 2016 campaign. And then Trump became president, and he also appoints Peter Navarro to be director of the Office of Trade and Manufacturing Policy. The Trump administration has made statements that China's state-led mercantilist approach to the economy harms global trade and violates free trade principles, and that the United States seeks a trade relationship with China that is fair, reciprocal, and balanced. This statement is basically cribbed from Peter Navarro's book from 2011. Therefore, in 2017, when Trump became president, Trump asked the Department of Commerce to investigate Chinese trade practices with regard to the steel and aluminum industries. It then asked the uh, US Trade Representative to initiate an investigation into certain acts, policies, and practices of the Chinese government relating to technology transfer, intellectual property, and innovation. Both departments conducted their studies, and then in 2018, China reaped the whirlwind on tariffs, okay? So first there was a tariff placed on consumer washing machines, not because of China, but actually because of surging imports from South Korea. China, however, is also an exporter of washing machines to the U.S., so it was caught in this net. This tariff was imposed under Section 201 of the 1974 Trade Act. At the same time, tariffs were imposed on solar panel cells and modules, also under Section 201, due to dumping from China and I think also South Korea. Section 201 tariffs are called safeguard tariffs because other countries' trade practices cause substantial harm to the domestic industries, our domestic industries, and the tariff's purpose is to safeguard those industries. Pretty straightforward. In these two industries, domestic producers asked the USTR to investigate the unfair trade practices, not President Trump. And then the 201 tariffs were placed on the same day. Very soon after that, however, the USTR came out with its findings about the steel and aluminum industries and found that the import of those two metals threatened U.S. national security. So the U.S. imposed tariffs, this time through Section 232 of the Trade Expansion Act of 1962, which allows imposition of tariffs due to national security reasons. Basically, the steel and aluminum imports were undermining domestic industries such that they threatened to shut down the remaining companies. Uh, Since both metals are needed for national defense, it became a national security issue. So you can Followed that argument. This tax was also indiscriminate. It applied to all countries exporting steel to the United States, including our good ally and neighbor, Canada, and a number of other allies. Right after that, the USTR came out with its report on its uh, investigation on China's practices with regard to American intellectual property rights, innovation, and development. Now, this was the most complicated of the investigations and perhaps. The most legitimate concern. The investigation found that Chinese practices encourage or require the transfer of American intellectual property to Chinese companies. Um, The way that the U.S. is punishing China for these acts is through Section 301 of the U.S. Trade Act of 1974, which quote, authorizes the president take all appropriate action, including tariff-based and non-tariff-based retaliation, to obtain the removal of any act, policy, or practice of a foreign government that violates an international trade agreement or is unjustified, unreasonable, or discriminatory in that burdens or restricts U.S. commerce. Um, so basically, that's the 301 claim in a nutshell. Um, so you have to ask, so what is China doing um, that burdens U.S. commerce? Um So what China is doing is that if an American company wants to do business in China or sell its products in China, the American company has to form a joint venture with a Chinese company and hand over valuable information. So patents and copyrights are protected by law, but trade secrets such as industrial processes, secrets on chemical compounds or, you know, how to put together chemicals to form another compound. The formula for Coca-Cola is a trade secret and other proprietary information. This is what is being handed over in these joint ventures. The Chinese are then taking the information and profiting from it. This is done by contract. Contract law is a whole other subject, but basically if two parties contract to do certain things or hand over information, and both parties are in sound mind and they go into the relationship with eyes wide open, it's basically a legitimate deal. Uh, The Trump administration claims that the information is coerced. Um, However, I'm of the mind that it's not. Companies hand over proprietary information for good and valuable consideration, being able to do business in China or sell its goods there. They're making profit. They're not doing this. It's not a gift that they give to China. And they have many, many lawyers looking over these contracts. I, again, personally don't consider that these contracts to be Uh, one-sided or taking advantage of the U.S. party. Another point in the 301 report that the USTR wrote, um, it claims that the Chinese government employs hackers to steal corporate secrets. Um, This has some legitimacy. The Obama administration, I believe, actually issued warrants on some hackers who were thought to be government or military employees of China. So there is some corporate theft of intellectual property that's going on. A bit of it is coerced. But to go back to the tariffs with a Section 301, uh, the U.S. is allowed to levy tariffs on a whole range of products in retaliation to these unfair trade practices. Um, So to date, there's been four tranches of 301 tariffs. The first was levied against $34 billion worth of Chinese imports, the second was $16 billion, the third was $200 billion, and the fourth was $300 billion. Some 1,500 product lines have been affected by these tariffs. This basically accounts for all imports from China. I have to say, in early 2018, I had clients. I'm a consultant to the financial industry. They, they were emailing me and asking me, what's going on? There's all these tariffs on washing machines and solar panels and steel and aluminum. You know, It's like, how do these all relate to each other? It was very confusing for everyone. So, you know, it was like, what's going on here? You know, I looked into it. The first were kind of incidental. They just happened to be imposed right before the steel and aluminum tariffs. And then the Section 301, which is the mother load of the tariff imposition started. Basically, there are four separate actions that happened to occur within a few weeks of each other and affected the same country, China, in a very massive way. As you've probably noted in the, the media, not all the tariffs have been implemented exactly when they were announced. Trump has what his kind of game plan is. He threatens to levy the tariffs. The governments make motions to negotiate. He puts a pause. They meet. They don't do anything. It's been tit for tat and cat and mouse for more than a year now. At the same time, China hasn't been standing idly by. It's issuing a number of retaliatory tariffs as well. But you have to remember the trade imbalance. There's only so much that they buy from the United States. In 2018, China imported $120 billion worth of goods from the United States. That's all they can tax. The United States, however, imported $529 billion worth of goods from China. Uh, The fourth tranche, or some part of it, was just implemented. So now, practically, all goods from China bear some sort of tariff due to these four actions.
1: Hmm, I see. So the United States is achieving their goals? I think
2: it's too early to tell. It's only been a a little over a year. Uh, We started this business to encourage, force China to play fair, to correct the trade imbalance, to stop the flow of intellectual property and restore America's manufacturing base. Right now, I think it's too early to tell to say whether any of this has actually made China change its behavior. So far, it's promised to buy more agricultural products, but no real movement has been made. It's all promises at this point. China has been opening markets Insurance is an example of one that was recently open to foreign companies, but China is a communist country, so it operates on five-year plans. I think it's on its 17th or 15th five-year plan right now. And it was due to the latest five-year plan that it, it has decided to open some markets up to foreign companies. It's not because of the tariffs. Also too, there has been little to no movement to start manufacturing in the United States again, not that I'm aware of. So far, I don't
1: think we're achieving any of our goals. Okay. But again, it's a little bit too early to tell. Okay, so maybe it's a little bit hard to answer, like have a correct answer at this point. That's okay. So how do you think the trade war will involve, can you tell us in the short term and also in the long term?
2: So I think if Trump sticks to his guns, he can make China change its behavior with regard to opening up its markets to foreign companies and to allow sole ownership instead of joint ventures. Allowing sole ownership will stop the coerced IP proprietary information sharing with Chinese companies. I think this is a long game, however, years long. It's much longer than an election cycle, so we'd have to put probably a decade into it to force China to change its behavior. Also too, China is worried about its own economy. Its economy is slowing down, and it's highly dependent on U.S. consumerism for its own economic well-being. If we can wait them out, I think we can achieve our goals. We have a huge economy. We're doing very well right now. Inflation is low and unemployment is low. Yet, frankly speaking, we can afford to pay a little bit more. I don't like saying that, but it's true. China is also worried about social stability. When the iron rice bowl starts to give out and people start complaining, the Chinese government will have to do something. And I think it would be easier for China to give in if we can wait long enough than for China to deal with social unrest that could potentially threaten the Chinese Communist Party's control. I think that's that's another subject, though. <laughs> also too, I think Congress needs to play a role as well in making China change its behavior. There was a bill in 2018 that would have allowed CFIUS, the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States to have a greater authority over these private contracts and to stop these so-called coerced IP transfers. That part of the bill didn't pass. I understand why, though, it, it didn't pass, because it kind of violates some fundamental American principles about free trade and the freedom to contract. We're not the Chinese government and we shouldn't get into private business contracts. However, that doesn't mean Sofia shouldn't have a broader purview. Right now, it only can look through the lens of whether the investment would impact national security. I think it could be broader than that. Just looking at the news and what's going on, there's some motions to reach a trade agreement in the next month or so. So I think that Trump is giving in. Due to upcoming campaign and re-election concerns. The trade war is affecting consumers and businesses alike. As I said before, farmers have been hit really hard. China buys a substantial amount of pork, wheat, corn, soybeans, as well as specialty foods and drink like lobster, whiskey, and wine. That's part of the retaliation from China is that they're not buying our agricultural products. So we've been giving our farmers subsidies, but that doesn't play well politically because they look like government handouts. I've also heard on the news that the farmers are saying that once they lose their customer base in China, they're gone forever and they'll never recover from the loss. So I think we'll see when he starts hardcore campaigning in 2020 how the trade war will end up.
1: I was wondering, what are some of the unforeseen consequences of the trade war? So what has been
2: ironic or rather unfortunate is that U.S. companies are getting it both ways. They're not only facing competition from Chinese companies, but they also are being hit with the tariffs. I should explain, China is a country that does a lot of component assemblage to make a finished product. Many of the components come from somewhere else, shipped to China where they are finished, and then shipped to the United States for sale. I'll use cell phones as an example. The screens are made in South Korea, the computer chips are made in Japan, and the batteries made in Mexico. I'm making this up. Uh, All of this is then shipped to China to be finished. Now that it's a finished product as a cell phone, and if it's on that product list, that 301 product list, it's being taxed to be sold in the United States. Now here's the kicker it's regardless of who actually owns the company. So many American companies do this. They have factories in China where they assemble the components and then ship the finished good to the United States. So American companies are being affected by this tax that is in actuality supposed to punish the Chinese government. That was one of the first things my clients asked me, whether company ownership mattered, because most of their clients are American, and but they do business in China. So I had to read the law, read the reports, And no, there is no such exclusion on ownership. So it seems to me that the Trump administration didn't take this into consideration when it levied the tariffs. But once the consequences were understood, the Trump administration came out and said, well, this is to encourage companies to shift production back to the US. I've been following industry news and moving supply chain isn't that easy. There was a belief early on that companies would actually move production to Southeast Asia rather than the U.S. It's closer to China. Labor is cheap. But it turns out there's not hundreds of turnkey solutions in Vietnam and Cambodia. That means there are not hundreds of factories standing empty with an idle workforce just waiting to assemble cell phones or fire extinguishers. So what actually has to happen is that the countries need to build the factories they have to train the labor forces. You need upper and middle management to manage all this. You need an army of lawyers to start buying property and purchase and import equipment and specialized machinery. So it's turning out not to be that easy. Again, as I mentioned before, there's been little to no movement on moving manufacturing back to the U.S., at least not that I've heard. Another perverse and unintended consequence of the tariff on steel is that Harley Davidson, a hundred percent true blue American company, moved all its manufacturing to Europe to avoid the steel tariff. So we lost jobs because of this. It's it's a little heartbreaking because Harley Davidson is an iconic American company. And now it now it produces in Europe.
1: Mm-hmm. I see. So I think this U.S. and China trade war is not only the issue between the United States and China. So how does the U.S.-China trade war impact other countries, regionally and also globally? So the tariffs
2: aren't China-specific. They also affect our allies. This doesn't play well geopolitically. We're alienating our friends. And also, at the same time, we're not damaging China as much as we want to. Global trade has slowed. U.S. consumers and companies are bearing the brunt of the rise in prices. Certain countries like Mexico, Taiwan, and Canada have benefited, but not the United States. We're not hurting China as much as we want to. Other countries are benefiting from it, and manufacturing isn't coming back to the United States.
1: Oh, I see. So I want to ask, why does this topic matter for American students to learn? Regardless of what you want to go into as a
2: career, you should be an informed citizen. You don't have to be an economist to understand trade. I just explained it in like two minutes. You should understand how trade works and know that tariffs generally don't work. It's so easy to listen to campaign rhetoric and get all fired up by it, but understand too the nuts and bolts of how all this works. I think if someone in the Trump administration had run an analysis on which companies, rather than countries, would be affected by the trade war, they might have tweaked the plan before implementing it. The focus might have shifted to how do we specifically target China with minimal effect on American consumers and companies. The trade deficit writ large is a very attractive target, but when you realize that a lot of these goods are American-owned but manufactured in China, I think that changes the analysis. Secondly, the purpose of the tariffs is to achieve a political aim, to make China play fair in trade. If the cost is higher prices for a prolonged period, but we can achieve this political aim if we stick with it, then maybe we should suffer through it to achieve a more equitable outcome in the long run. That is the cost-benefit analysis that should be taking place based on political rather than economic outcomes. If you read the New York Times, they, con- they concentrate mostly on the economic outcomes rather than the political. That's definitely not Trump's focus, is to achieve economic outcomes. Also, I think in learning about this, you should understand we're no longer very good at manufacturing basic stuff, like shoes and clothes and knickknacks that uh, China makes. We're really good at providing services, specialized products, and intellectual property. If you look at the businesses spawned by the financial service industry, you look at the number of banking services that the United States provides. You look at the Internet, which is an industry. We have literally tens of thousands of computer programmers and statisticians coding and developing products for the Internet and developing algorithms to make better search engines and better financial products. It's really easy to buy something on Amazon and to use Google. These are American companies and their products are wholly produced in the U.S. But they don't count because they're kind of services and intellectual property. It's just a bunch of people at computers, you know, typing away. We also have scientists developing patents, drugs, all sorts of specialized intellectual property. And we do this much better than make t-shirts and shoes. So you go back to Adam Smith, free trades, blind band, this is what we're good at. We should that's what we should do. Also, I should mention that China makes a lot of chemicals and manufactures a bunch of stuff that creates a lot of pollution. That's why it's so polluted in China. As an example, blue jeans is the manufacture of blue jeans is incredibly dirty, and people in villages that have jean or denim factories, they have silicates in their lungs from the processing of the denim. There's a phrase, not in my backyard. So, not in my backyard. Right. Give me my cheap products and my fast Internet and allow me to teach college students and administer a center that fosters research and the development of knowledge. So I live in a college town and practically everyone around me is involved in the new economy. We don't manufacture anything. We just provide highly specialized services or we create intellectual property.
1: Thank you so much. So as you're an expert in this field, and all the listeners are high school students or the teachers, so what resources would you suggest for teachers to use in their classrooms for this topic? Or if the students who wants to learn more about this topic, are there good resources for them?
2: Yes, there's a number of good resources. I think the Wall Street Journal is a really good one. The Financial Times and The Economist, also very good. The New York Times, I think it has a good timeline on the tariffs, although I don't know if they still have it up. I haven't I haven't looked at it in a while. However, I think The New York Times is pretty biased against Trump. (laughs) So all of its reporting about the trade war is very slanted because they don't like Trump. That's my personal opinion, not that of the government or Princeton University. The Peterson Institute also has some good resources. Also, too, everything I learned about economics, I learned in survey courses on micro and macroeconomics. So you don't have to be a math whiz to understand economics. If you can find a good textbook or an online MOOC on these subjects, you know, that paints a broad outline, you can get a feel for it and understand it. Also, government sources on the specific issues are good. The USTR has all the reports online. I don't find them too difficult to read, although I I don't know. Okay, I do hold three degrees, but I didn't find them too difficult to read. And they explain in good detail the law, the violations, and the specific actions that have been taken. There's also a publication service called the Congressional Research Service that produces reports for Congress. I feel they're very well researched and fairly objective, despite being for Congress. And I say, read the law as well. You know, you don't have to be a lawyer to read the law. So don't take someone's word for what the law says. All federal law is online. Just don't pretend to be a lawyer. That's going to get you in trouble.
1: Okay, thank you so much, Professor, for the input on U.S.-China trade issue, the contemporary issue, and also providing us a very valuable information about the resources. So this is going to be the final question. So are there any final words for the listener of this podcast? So one, I hope you got
2: something out of this and you have a better sense of the trade war. This is a little bit non-related, but also I think you should learn a hard language like Chinese or Arabic or Russian as early as you can. So I feel like language acquisition is so much easier when you're young. I learned Mandarin in college and it's been an uphill struggle ever since. I only mention this because we have a real need for government analysts who can speak and read these languages. You're practically guaranteed a job once you learn these languages. With that, I'd just like to
1: say thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Okay. Thank you so much for being here today, Professor Bennett. And I believe we were able to deepen our understanding of US-China trade war today. So I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming today. And thank you so much for listening today for the listener. And see you on next podcast.
0: Thank you for listening in to our podcast episode. For more information about this episode and all our other episodes, be sure to check out our website at nrc.elliot.gwu.edu and subscribe to our email list to get the latest on upcoming episodes. If you have a recommendation on a topic or expert to interview for a future podcast episode, please send us your ideas via email to gweanrc at gwu.edu. Lastly, we'd like to thank our sponsors for all their support in making this podcast happen. But most importantly, we want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in. Until next time.